Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And I have a juicy episode today. And as I talked about in previous episodes, I have been playing around and doing the weekly episodes and I have been loving that. It's definitely a lot more work as I am editing all my episodes currently and I did have a VA doing some editing earlier this year, but I found that I was a little disconnected from the process and yeah, and just connecting, I think with my audience and with you all as well. So I am loving doing the editing and it is, yeah, so we're going to continue with the weekly episodes. And I think last week I had a break in between, so going to do weekly as much as possible um, through the summer and then it will be the end of this current season before we pick up uh, next year again. So I will share exact times with you soon. This episode is going to be all about the goddess archetypes and I'm so excited to share this with you as I have been studying this for honestly yeah the last five or six months. It's a very dense subject and I want to do it justice. And I think from my own learning process, it's been an exploration, a research and embodiment for myself of this knowledge. And I am ready now to share this with you. And I hope it's as transformative as it is for me, for you, And it's something that I'm working with clients on and it's so supportive because it's almost like one of those tools like human design that you find and you see that it's just so spot on and it's so exact and it can really account for a lot of complexity too. So it's not like astrology, which I find it's like you find out you're a fixed sign, um, you know, you have your, your big three. Whereas finding out your goddess archetype is ever-changing. It's really what is the strongest archetype within you currently. And we all hold aspects of these archetypes within ourselves all the time. So it's really, we're all a complex mixture of these archetypes. And it's really about which one wants to come through right now, which one is coming through strongly at this moment, and how can that help me move through my challenges and help me make this change and create what I want to create. And I did most of my learning from this incredible book called The Goddess Within, A Guide to the Eternal Myths that Shape Women's Lives by Jennifer Barker Wolger and Roger J. Wolger. And I will link this in the show notes. It was actually recommended to me by um, someone I connected with a few months ago, um, Amalia Rivera. She does branding for coaches and consultants. And she recommended this book. It's like 500 pages. So I'm really going to give you a high level here of what the goddess archetypes are the history behind them and why they are helpful to us, as well as touch on the six uh, goddess archetypes that we're going to talk about. And I'm going to do this at a very high level. As I mentioned, you can check out the book if you want to really do a deep dive, but I have a quiz that I just came out with called, yeah, 
what is your goddess archetype? And you can find that at goddesstype.com. And I'll reference this throughout this episode. Um, So that's where you can do more of your learning. Uh, You can take the quiz. It's pretty short and it will ask you questions on different aspects of yourself, you know, your interests, your viewpoints, what's coming alive for you right now. And it will tell you what archetype you are strongest in and what is a complementary archetype that would be supportive. And I think if there's anything you take away from today's episode, it's that, you know, you find out that you're strongest in one archetype and that gives you the wisdom into what is a wounded archetype within you, which one is being ignored that wants to come through and support. So I think a lot of people, myself included, when I first found this think it's about, oh, now I know my strongest archetype and I'm going to connect with her and embody her and just only focus on that. But it's like you're already strongest in that. So it's actually just wisdom to give you what uh, other archetypes do you want to embody for balance? And I'll talk a bit more about the reasons why. But first of all, what is a goddess? So by goddess, we mean in this context, a psychological description of a complex female character type that we intuitively recognize both in ourselves and the women around us, as well as the images and icons that are everywhere in our culture. And we're really talking about here this fundamental dynamic behind the behavior of a woman that makes her unique as a type. And when such a psychological dynamic is observed in a whole group of individuals, it is what Jung, Carl Jung, called an archetype. And Jung was the first to observe that these dynamic types of this sort are to be found in their purest forms in mythology and literature, and that they show up in disguise in everyone's dream and fantasy life. So today it can be found in movies, TV, how the media treats the lives of prominent people, but really it's showing up as well in the collective unconscious and Yeah, that's why I really love Young, and he really talks about these stories and these behaviors and these uh, dynamics behind behaviors that are unknown and but they're being played out in society. And that's what we're going to talk about today: these six major Greek goddess archetypes um, that are found the most uh, that the authors of Goddess Within found that are the most active in lives of modern women and contemporary society. And so, as I mentioned, we all hold a small aspect of these characteristics in each of us. So you may recognize when I share a few of them, Athena, for example, is probably the most recognized is a career woman. And she shows up as, you know, woman dressed up in maybe a pantsuit or you know, office wear, corporate wear, and is at the table, is making decisions. And she, Athena, has played a huge role in recent years of women being in leadership at the workplace. And she really is driven by career progression, career success. And that is the way that Athena shows up in our modern world. So you'll recognize some of them and some of them you may be drawn to. Um, men also experience them, but more so they see the goddesses projected 
onto the women around them as well as in media. And what's really interesting is these goddesses show up for us clearly in different transitions in life and seemingly out of the blue, they can make a really strong impression. And so, yeah, when you're in transition, that's when you'll probably notice one is coming through the most. And for me, what I also see is Artemis. She is the goddess of nature. She comes through when there's major life transitions. And I'll talk a bit more about her in a second, but really just to say that there's some that show up at different moments, such as um, bereavement or marriage and um, adolescence as well. And they really function best when you lean on each one for different strengths in different moments. And to know ourselves fully is to know which goddess we are primarily ruled by and to be aware of how different goddesses influence various stages and transitions in our lives. So I mentioned I created a quiz where you can find out which goddess you are strongest in, as well as your complementary goddess to balance out and reach wholeness. And you can take that at goddesstype.com linked in the show notes as well. And you'll also, you'll get a huge description of your goddess and also a Pinterest mood board, aesthetic board with inspiration to connect to your goddess type and your complementary goddess. And according to Jungian theory, the goddesses are archetypes, which say they're ultimate sources of these emotional patterns in our thinking our feelings, our instincts, and our behavior that we might call feminine in the broader sense of the word. So a lot of these kind of personality tests um, focus on what are our motivators, our drivers for behavior, and that's really very masculine focus. So this is different. This is feminine. And I think what's really cool about this archetype study is that it is about masculine and feminine energies and how they can show up for us to nourish us, inspire us, and how these goddess archetypes came to be based on the shift from um, you know more of a matriarch a society to a patriarchal one. And so let me go back here to... We don't want to focus on just one archetype. If you do that, Young mentioned that you can develop a complex, you become neurotic, and you really just become a stereotype of that goddess. So you want to show up authentically, and in doing so, you embody the different aspects, the different goddesses, because at one point, they were all one. And that is what we're going to dive in here in this first half of the podcast is where did these archetypes come from and how did they turn out to become six different ones? Um, and so the book Goddess Within raises this imbalance, this psycho-spiritual imbalance in our culture um, as this disharmony between the masculine and feminine life forces. And these are fundamental archetypal energies that nourish and inspire each one of us. Um, and they, each of the goddesses that I'll talk about here have wounds. And when you take the quiz, you'll find out as well what your wound is and why, how you can overcome it, how you can heal it. 
And the woundedness is due to the harsh treatment that these goddesses have received at the hands of patriarchal repression. And the book goes so in depth about these, you know, different aspects of history where women were really villainized. And I talk about this in the description when you take the quiz of what particular instance shows up for your goddess. Um, But these are wounds that have been sustained over a long history um, with this battle of the supremacy of the masculine forces in Western culture. And they talk about it Um, You know, in the warrior supremacy of the early Greeks, the imperialism of the Romans, and the puritanical fear of the feminine and the body among certain factions in Christianity. And the book talks about how we look to ancient Greek mythology as a distant mirror. So we can use that to discern how our current conflicts arose from that civilization's growing need to impose patriarchal values. And so this history of Greek religion shows how the patterns of mother goddess worshiping, um, matriarchal society slowly seeded and came to terms with patriarchal warriors who conquered them. And it shows how the goddesses and the fullness of the feminine self-awareness became compromised and deeply wounded in the process. And, you know, in the book, it talks about this research by archaeologists such as Maria Gibutas that show that the mother goddess was worshipped everywhere thousands of years ago. And there's different examples in Egypt that we can see. Um, But in Greece, the oldest goddess was Gaia of the earth. And what happened is these Aryan tribes imposed patriarchal gods on the older mother religions. And the great goddess and her powers were split up. And this process went on for thousands of years. And essentially, the goddess who was, you know, encompassing all of these six goddesses in one was split into six so it was really this breaking up of her power and you know the good thing is that it retained the goddess but in a weakened form so each of this goddess archetypes are cut off from the mother and they're divided against themselves and this was really a result of this religious policy of divide and conquer at the time. And, you know, what's good is that in many ways, it suits the complexity of our culture today. And it works in an archetypal sense to understand which aspects of ourselves want to come through. But it also doesn't need to be alienated from each other anymore. And we can reclaim these parts of ourselves by embodying them all fully and becoming whole in our own Um, individual psyche and the collective social structures so another reason to learn about each of the goddesses and learn about especially your complementary one and to to really not just focus on one and that's really you know dividing up your own power too and I want to talk a bit about power um, as it comes to these goddesses 
just grab some water here. Um, but before I do that, actually, let me just give you a brief overview of each one so you have a reference point. So as I mentioned, the Athena woman is ruled by the goddess of wisdom and civilization, and she is concerned with achievement, career, education, intellectual culture, social justice, and politics. And we have Aphrodite, and she is ruled by the love goddess. Her chief concerns are relationships, sexuality, intrigue, romance, beauty, and the inspiration of the arts. Next, we have Persephone, and she is ruled by the goddess of the underworld. She is mediumistic and attracted to the spirit world, to the occult, to visionary and mystical experience, and to matters associated with death. And Artemis woman is ruled by the goddess of the wilds. She is practical, athletic, adventurous. She likes physical culture, solitude, the outdoors, animals and is concerned with the protection of the environment, alternative lifestyles, and women's communities. And then we have the Demeter woman. She is ruled by the corn goddess. She's an earth mother who loves bearing, nurturing, and raising children. She's concerned with all aspects of childbirth and women's reproductive cycles. And finally, we have the Hera woman, is ruled by the queen of heaven, she is concerned with marriage, partnerships with men, and with issues of power wherever women are rulers and leaders. And so each of the goddesses relate to each other um, on different levels, on different dyads, those being independence, power, and love. So when you learn about your goddess type, you'll learn which yours gravitates towards. So the ones that are extroverted are Athena, Hera, and Aphrodite. And the ones that are introverted are Artemis, Persephone, and Demeter. The ones ruled by independence are Athena and Artemis. The ones that are ruled by power are Hera and Persephone. And the ones ruled by love are Aphrodite and Demeter. And what's interesting is they embody those different traits differently um, from each other. So for example, they are really opposite ends on the spectrum. So while Athena is very independent, she is also extroverted. So she is most at home in a city, living amongst a lot of people, living in an apartment complex. And being on the world stage, so working in groups of people. She's independent, but she shows up that way. With Artemis, she is also independent. She is, you know, living in the cabin in the woods, usually living in nature. And she is also introverted, though. So she has this independence, but she wants to be on the edges of society. She does not want to be in the middle of civilization and often Artemis can end up in a city and just from societal conditioning you know where most people at some point move to a city and she'll really feel you know confused like why why am I here um 
So that is one example. And another is Aphrodite and Demeter. So Aphrodite is ruled by love of the other. And usually it's with men and it can be with friends too, but really driven by that connection with, um, with male energy. And with Demeter, it's love of children. And she is this mother archetype and she's really really um, feels most fulfilled and purposeful when loving children. So those are just some examples. Um, and actually, since I did the other two, I'll share a bit about Hera and Persephone. So Hera is the extroverted version, and she is, you know, in Greek mythology, married to Zeus, and she is in this place of power with him, of Olympus. And she really wants to be and is usually wielding power. And with Persephone, she is introverted and her wound is in claiming her power because she really lives in this um, mystical realm and she has lots of visions. And she was, as a young girl in Greek mythology, really dragged down to the underworld by Hades uh, against her will. And so she becomes the queen of the underworld by being there and helping souls on the other side. And her greatest wound, and she's one that I really, really resonate with, um, is in claiming her power of that world and claiming her power in the physical realm because she is really living from a victimized standpoint of this early childhood experience that was traumatizing. And you may notice that in yourself of having gone through something really intense growing up, um, or even, you know, recently, Persephone really rules like grief and tragedy and, and feeling that state of powerlessness. And so by embodying the opposite goddess on each spectrum of these dyads, we can learn to be more powerful in these different scenarios. So, um, and become more whole because as Young said, when we're really only focusing on one um, goddess, we're losing out on an, in another area of life. So if you're only focused on Demeter, and childbirth and child rearing, then you can be missing out on having a love relationship, a romantic relationship that fulfills you if you don't embody your opposite, which is um, Aphrodite. So she has a lot to teach you about relatedness and being um, open and connecting with the other um, person versus just the child. So that's how we can start to use these goddess archetypes to embody more of ourselves and you can connect with each goddess by deeply studying her using the results from this quiz is a great place to start using some of the ideas from the pinterest mood board in your results and we seriously need to attend to the goddesses within us that are weak neglected or deeply wounded in us and this is our work. This is the, the goal. And I can share a bit about my experience as well. But I took this quiz that I made myself and I got Persephone, which really, you know, makes a lot of sense. She is 
deeply drawn to the metaphysical and connecting to the spiritual realms and has gone through different experiences, you know, early on in life that, um, that lead her to this path, but also lead her in this way from being connected with a spiritual realm. And one of her, her biggest wounds is a weak ego because she's very connected to the spiritual realm, which is very ethereal and it's not like a solid form. And so the goal for Persephone is to develop a solid ego and her complementary goddess is Hera is one of them. Um, and that's because Hera is, you know, her opposite on that spectrum of claiming and owning her power in the world arena and yeah. And, and really giving that um, ability of herself to rule because Hera is the queen bee. Um, she just shows up unapologetically and just starts to rule and lead and wants to make an impact on society. And the Persephone wound is always um, trying to connect with the spiritual realms and trying to be all love and light without actually embracing the shadow aspect of herself. And I think that is something I definitely, definitely have gone through and worked on in the last four or five years where I really was drawn to the depths and Persephone is really healed when she can start to draw her power from the depths and bring it up. So claiming her shadow, working with her body, working on grounding into the physical realm. And I think it's no surprise that I am doing embodiment work where it's very focused on that very, um, yeah, the main goal being in taking up space and showing up authentically as your full self and, and claiming those lost parts of ourselves and the shadow, which even though she, Persephone, rules the underworld realm, she she like rejects that power because she thinks that it's not for her. She thinks that that wasn't um, what she was meant to be doing and it's a deep wound. Um, and so, yeah, so it was really interesting to see um, how to tap into these other goddesses. Another one that's been supportive is Demeter. Um, and in approaching my business from this way, my career from this way of nurturing, of supporting, of um, relaxing and leading from a feminine place versus masculine. And that is another point I will touch on each of the goddesses. They embody masculine and feminine energies, but some will be stronger in the masculine energy. So once they are stronger in masculine energy, it's more about how to bring in the femininity, how to embrace those parts of them, of yourself that got lost when this patriarchal shift happened in society. And um, one way I can share that is um, Athena and Artemis, you know, they are very independent. They embody masculine qualities mostly. So with that being said, they're independent because they don't need a man 
partner to reflect that back to them. They already have that innate energy within them. So their challenge becomes, you know, letting in a partner and and letting their feminine vulnerability show. And I think that was also my transition a few years ago um, in my career. I was more more so Athena, and I find that a lot of my clients are Athena as well, very driven by logic and by the head and by career. And then what they find is that you know you're disconnected from emotions, from your body, from other pursuits, and from your femininity. And so for Athena and Artemis, um, you know, it's really about how can you reclaim your own version of femininity that is not what you see out in society because both of them are feminine, but not in the stereotypical way. And they reject that stereotypical way of um, that's been shown in society. Like they don't think that women are just supposed to be in the kitchen and just supposed to be taking care of the home. Like that's not their version of femininity. And I quite frankly relate and agree. And so I think feminine embodiment healing is so helpful for all of the goddesses, but especially Athena and Artemis. And those are a few examples um, as well. And then there's some that skew more feminine. Um, that would be Hera and Demeter. And then their challenge becomes in embodying more of a healthy masculine so that they don't feel self-conscious. They don't feel um, Hera's wound is frustration. She doesn't feel like she's left out of power roles in society. And what was interesting learning about Hera is that she, a frustrated Hera is the worst thing possible for everyone um, around her for society. And there's been a collective issue where uh, frustrated Hera mothers have created this dynamic of being um, alienated by their daughters. And that's because their daughters have taken on more power and a place in the work world or in society than they perhaps were able to um, during their, you know, time period. Um, And they have this breeding envious energy and jealousy that stems from that. And they project that onto their daughters. So I found that very interesting. I think that it's, and they said in the book, it was like really women in their 30s and 40s um, that were the daughters that, you know, they did in this study that they found um, experienced this. So I'm curious if you have experienced that yourself. Um, Hera is mostly seen in more older women, I would say. It's more so because they come into their power in the second half of their life and they can be Hera earlier. And that really shows up as being a woman in college, you know, early 20s, where you're really focused on building a family, finding a husband, you're not caring about um, you know, continuing your studies or growing your career. And, but then the second half of your life is where you really come into your power. And some examples in society include, um, Margaret Thatcher and Nancy Reagan. And so that's just somehow how Hera shows up is, um, you know, either in a powerful leadership position, um, on a leadership board of a, um, you know, community group, 
or aligned with a powerful man. And that's where her frustration lies is if she doesn't have that opportunity to lead and she instead, you know, uses her husband as a way of being exposed to that. And she kind of latches onto his career or her kids. And she uses, you know, making them uh, be, do act in a way that shows that she's a good parent. And, um, and it's really not about their authentic expression. That is the greatest wound of Hera. So you would want to find an avenue to be fulfilled. And unfortunately, because she's under the extroverted um, skewing that it can take a while for her to look inwards and figure this out. Instead, it's like projecting a lot of frustration. So that was one that I thought was interesting. Um, another one that I am embodying currently is Artemis. And she is showing up for me in this period of transition. She is um, also one that I really resonated with growing up. Um, and she shows up in um, adolescence, but she is giving a woman a identity that is connected to her body and how it performs in athleticism. So for me, that was really a big focus of my identity growing up was who I was. I was always playing sports that I'd become so passionate about and I would really, yeah, like for my identity around that. And that would be soccer for me was huge and basketball. And I just found so much fulfillment in doing that so much community and, and my body. And I felt one doing that. And that identity helps um, Artemis who doesn't really connect with the typical feminine stereotype. It helps her really bridge that gap in those years of adolescence that are like very um, self-conscious and uncertain by giving her this solid identity. And I really felt that came through. And then her wound though is just sticking to that identity and not making the the step from girl to woman and not maturing into someone else that has more interests that um, yeah uses other things to identify herself versus just sports. And I think that is also something that I've gone through in the last few years of, um, yeah, and being open to different ways of expressing myself and my femininity. That is not what I did growing up. And it was a relearning of sorts. Um, so also showing up in my life where I'm moving closer to nature. I am spending at least five or six months in the mountains um, in the fall in North Carolina. And I have been feeling this way for the last year or so. Like, I'd love to just drop it all, live in a tiny house and live in nature. And that is a clear sign of Artemis. She wants to get away from the noise and be connected to nature. And she is actually the most ancient goddess out of all of them because she's most connected to the earth. And that was the original goddess of the Greek um, goddess Gaia. So yeah. So when you find yourself called to nature, called to leaving the city or leaving the suburbs and um, carving your own path. Also, she's really into like unique lifestyles, alternative living. Um, 
that is another sure sign. So those are my experiences um, with Artemis. And what's interesting is I also came up with my complimentary goddess as Aphrodite. And Aphrodite is really comfortable in her body and with a physical experience and with um, relatedness and with the arts. So you see Aphrodite really as this archetype that I think has also been very skewed in Hollywood. And um, just to touch on actually, uh, before I move on to Aphrodite, Artemis shows up as Jane Goodall, like that's an example. And she is not as obvious as the other gods archetypes are. Um, her and um, Hera are, are um, I think actually Artemis is the one that's like really hard to um, pin down as well as Persephone. Those are the two. Um, but that's an example in society and Georgia O'Keeffe as well, because she really got sustenance and um, she felt, you know, all these messages from nature when she was in the desert. And that's how Artemis like experiences her emotions is like on a backdrop of nature. Um, so Aphrodite, though, you know, one common example is Marilyn Monroe and why she really represents Aphrodite is she was just a regular girl that was drawn into this world of glamour and she had all these connections with um, different celebrities, different people in power, different politicians, the Kennedys. And that's really Aphrodite, how she ends up um, in these kind of spaces and in this new world is from her, not only her physical gifts, like you can usually tell an Aphrodite is um, very glamorous and in an effortless way and very comfortable in her body. And that's like a big part of her identity is just this comfort. It's not like a over focus on her body. She just loves showing up as herself in her most beautiful way. Um, and so but what I learned from her and being a complimentary goddess is that she's really about um, being in touch with all of her senses, being present and living from this state of presence and surrounding herself with luxury and great textures and smells and adornments and, and really valuing relationships. And she was also a symbol in like salons and literary salons. So she's very creative and she's almost like a muse for a lot of um, yeah men in power. So if she is drawn to a man in power, she gets to learn how to embody her own power by being around him. And he gets his, um, Carl Jung called it the animus, which is um, his feminine, you know, everyone has a masculine, feminine self. And the animus is the masculine, masculine's feminine that he sees reflected in someone else. So that's why she's normally, um, yeah, has affairs and <laughs> learns a lot from them. And they're not just frivolous for her, like they are very spiritual. And so I think Aphrodite might be one of the most misunderstood out of all the types. And she's actually very, very spiritual. And I think we can all learn a lot from her, which her main message is like love, like un, 
boundless love and um, comfort in her sexuality. And she's also one of the goddesses that has been like the most impacted by the patriarchy and um, Hollywood. There, there's really this understanding that they can't live with her and they can't live without her. And she can be almost like not taken seriously. And I think that was the issue that Madonna really experienced of like, I'm more than just this like um, version of me that you kind of just see in the physical. And, and yeah, so you find out in your results, if you have Aphrodite, um, how this, this patriarchal way and this religious cults, they really um, demonize the body and sexuality. And yet they couldn't get rid of her either because it's just a normal desire and it really yeah it really impacts I think feminine um sexuality and I think I can learn a lot from her about that and so that can be one that you want to research as well um and then there's Demeter as well that I mentioned that she is the most like egoless out of all the goddesses because she has this instinct to take care of and it's not even about her um it's really about the other person which is similar to Aphrodite um with her love affairs like she pours her heart and soul into someone else and it's not about her at all um and same with Demeter and I think we can learn a lot from Demeter to apply this nurturing, this instinct to take care of ourselves, to take care of others, and to move through the world in that like gentle way. And she's very much in her body as well. She is taking care of other people's <laughs> bodily functions, like babies. And so she's very conscious of her own. And then her greatest wound, though, is to feel alienated by society because the mother role is really not something that is held in high regard and that is something that I would really like to see changed as well and it was another impact of the patriarchal way of like when women were um you know made to stay home I guess and take care of children um you know they they lost a bit of their power because at that point, they really need to rely on their husband's income. They couldn't be creating their own. And so it created all this messaging in Demeter that, you know, my role is not as important. Like what I have to say doesn't matter. I'm not worldly like Athena. And I don't feel like I have power in this world or or that, you know, your only identity is mother. And so she has, you know, a lot that she can learn from the other goddesses as well to take her role seriously and to develop a role outside of just the mother. And um, she can be very, very healing to connect to if you have had issues with your mother. And, um, you know, she's really known as the great mother to us all. And so if you have, you can tap into Demeter and embody her so that you can be your own mother and you can recreate this healthy bond. And she is actually related to Persephone because um, Demeter is Persephone's mother. So Persephone was taken from her mother and Persephone also is one that, you know, if you want to do, if you need to do some mother healing, 
um, she is a part of that journey. Um, but for Demeter as well, you know, she lost her daughter. And so there is this wound in herself as well, like when her children leave um, and how she wants to be someone else outside of that too. Um, so that is just a brief overview of these goddesses and it goes much more in depth in the quiz, but I hope this piqued your interest and inspires you to learn more about these goddesses and view how they show up in yourself and your friends, your colleagues, those around you and continue to talk about this with your friends, maybe journal on which um, goddess is coming up for you reading about them, working on them in coaching um, will help you to interact with these parts of yourself and create change. And it's really about listening to the goddess within ourselves and learning to recognize them and others for more understanding. And as you learn about the various stories of goddesses and reflect on them, you will notice different parts of your life becoming touched and activated and you'll meet your challenges in a totally different way. You'll have this higher perspective that will just make so much sense and have this ability to transcend your limitations and your wounds to embody a part of yourself, a, a goddess part of yourself that longs to be seen and heard by you. So I would love to know what you think of this episode. You can find out your goddess type and your complimentary goddess at goddesstype.com in the show notes. And I look forward to continuing this conversation. Again, I may do a deep dive into each one because this was very, very high level. Like I mentioned, it's such a dense subject, but oh my goodness, it is so powerful and it really allows you to move through challenges knowing that you are this mythical character and like draw on their power and energies that are still alive and always will be um, in the collective unconscious and that actually is a big part of the book um, Carl Jung recognized the shift in the reawakening of the goddess in the consciousness so the goddess is coming through we are at a time where feminine energy is being more integrated more seen and more healed and it's really what we need to become holy ourselves so i can't wait to hear what you get on the quiz and please share this episode if it was helpful with someone you know and i can't wait to see you in next week's episode